0: How's everybody doing tonight? Boy, that was weak. <laughs> hey, two more days, two more days, and then the weekend's here, uh, if that helps any. Thank you for being with us online tonight. We're glad that you've tuned in. Go ahead and stand with me as we open up in prayer tonight. What a beautiful day. Man, this is the, we get two weeks in the spring and two weeks in the fall, and we love being in Texas. Uh, but uh, what a beautiful day beautiful weather, temperature's great. This is perfect. This is what I think heaven's going to be like. Maybe a little less windy, because it does blow my hair a little bit. But other than that, I I thought it was a perfect day. Um, Let's open up in prayer. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Uh, Let's continue praying. As we move into the holiday season, uh, you know, I say this every year, but, but truly it is a time where you have again. You have the dichotomy. You have you have some people that uh, this is the most wondrous time of year. You know, with Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, and New Year's, and then for some it's a very difficult time. But I believe it's a time for the gospel, and you know, I believe that because of the ha- the activities of the holidays, that there are a lot of people that are open that may not otherwise be open. So let's pray that God would help us to capitalize on uh, on this season. Uh, again, we continue to work and and uh plan to fill all of these seats until he comes and uh, if that 's tomorrow that 's fine, but uh until he comes, we keep working so we 're praying for revival and and uh and not just uh here in our community but around the world and uh, Father, we just love you tonight and thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to come together tonight, Lord, I thank you for your promises, which are yea and amen. Lord, I thank you that we can build our lives upon a firm foundation that, uh, Lord, that, that does not fade, it does not deteriorate. Lord, I thank you that it is forever established because it's established upon you. And, Fathers, we open up tonight, we do so with the heart of thanksgiving. Lord, we thank you for your blessings, your favor. Lord, we thank you for your availability. Uh, Lord, that no matter where we are and the struggles that we're facing, Lord, there are many needs in our body tonight. There are those that uh, have recently received reports that weren't... As good as what they wanted them to be, and accidents and breaks, and, 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 and all kinds of things. Lord, I thank you that you are a healer. And so, Father, I pray wherever there is that type of need, a physical need, God, that you would touch. And I pray for those that are recovering in the hospital, those that are recovering in a rehab facility, uh, Lord, those recovering at home, Lord, I pray that you would just be with them as an ever present help in their time of trouble. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would. Uh, uh, Lord, be with all the ministries across the campus tonight and be exalted in all things. I pray, Father, for our, our nation as we move into this uh, political season, this midterm election. Lord, may we hear your voice and vote biblical values, Lord. And, 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 and Lord, you said if we would call out to you, repent of our evil ways, turn, that you would hear and forgive and, and, and touch our land. And Lord, we need that. And Lord, help us to have the mind of Christ as we do our part, Lord. And I pray that you will be with us in our study tonight. Open our hearts and let us hear. What the Spirit says to us, we commit this now to you in Jesus' name, and we all said, "Amen, Amen." God bless you. you may be seated tonight. I want you to turn with me to John chapter eight as we get right into our last uh, last in this short series on uh, on the encounter for women who met Jesus. Uh, next Wednesday, I'm going to start a new series, and I forget the title. <laughs> um, you, you have to understand that when I was when I was 27, you know, 30, 35, uh, I'm, I feel like I'm an old computer that I've downloaded so many things that I can't remember. Uh, uh, I, I do have, uh, uh, I think it's por- pict- portraits of Jesus or something like that. I'm going to take snapshots of his life. The, the gist is I'm going to ta- take some stories. Uh, we're going to have snapshots of his life. Uh, you know, people always talk about how to, uh, you know, you're, how many you ever heard Christ likeness or be like Christ. Christian means to to be like Christ. Well, what does that mean exactly? Uh, and so we're going to look at some snapshots of his life and figure out what does it mean to be Christ-like uh, because he had all kinds of encounters. He uh, he addressed uh, many different things and, and came across many different things. And I think by looking at some of those snapshots, we can get a better idea of uh, of who he is. I, I'm one of those guys that when I, when I preach a message or what have you, I'll, I'll file that thing and I move to another one. And so my recall, uh, what is that random access memory, my RAM? It doesn't do very well. <laughs> I can access what's on the screen right there. Um, anyway, we're going to finish up tonight uh, in way of announcement. Don't forget Sunday, we're continuing on with our uh, end time series. This week, we're going to be looking at a bad week A bad week. We'll be talking about the tribulation. Uh, Again, one of the reasons we do this is because twofold. Number one, we need to remain focused on the fact that heaven is our destiny. Uh, That's the focus. And then the second part of that is if we know what's happening, what's coming, then it should motivate us to do the work of an evangelist, that we should be doing the work that we've been called to do, witnessing, sharing our faith, inviting people to come on this journey with us. Uh, And so that's why we do that. I think there was something else I forget. I will tell you in advance uh, with, uh, what's that next holiday, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. I was say Easter. Uh, I get really confused because when you get all these holidays together, so uh, with with Thanksgiving coming up, remember the week of Thanksgiving, we don't have midweek service. So So that week there, just go ahead and note on your calendar, your schedule, we won't have midweek service on that week. Anyway, let's get into our teaching tonight. Uh, four women who met Jesus tonight are going to be talk, uh, talking about no condemnation, no condemnation. Very familiar story. You know, this is one of those, uh, uh, one of the guys asked me this week uh, or last week, what what lady are you going to finish up with? There's so many ladies that had an encounter with Jesus I think we could learn from, but uh, you know, I've tried to vary, and I think tonight we, we all know this story well, and I think it's a good story to end on. Uh, chapter 8, verse 1, uh, we'll begin there. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again to, into the temple, and the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, now this is, the, this is the explanation, okay, John gives. This they said to him uh, to test him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and he saw that no one uh, saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Now, again, th- this is a wonderful story. Uh, how many have how heard this story before? So this is the woman caught in the act of adultery. Uh, so, so we've been looking at four women who had an encounter with Jesus, and because of that encounter, their life changed. And, again, my premise is this. Whenever people truly have an encounter with Christ, it alters them. If a person claims to have a relationship with Jesus and they have not changed, they're not being truthful. Because Jesus always brings a change. Uh, it, it, again, Scripture is replete with all kinds of, of examples of people that have a true encounter. Now, I'm not saying there, there are people that, does, that don't have a close encounter, okay, uh, of the divine kind. <laughs> that would be a good sermon title. Uh, I, you know, there are people that kind of get close but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who have a relationship, who actually enter into a relationship with Jesus, and they are altered. It changes them. There's evidence of being in a relationship with Christ or having been changed by Christ. And so tonight, we're going to look at a woman at the woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, let me give you a little background of this story. This story takes place within the last six months of Jesus' ministry here on earth. So so think about it. In the next six months, Jesus... Uh, is going to uh, complete his time here before he 's betrayed, crucified, buried, and resurrected so within the last six months of his ministry, this story also occurs at the Feast of Tabernacles. okay Now the Feast of Tabernacles, which that might be an interesting study i don 't know if i 've ever taught on the feasts uh, of the Old Testament, but the Feast of the tab- of Tabernacles, which basically was a feast in which they remembered how God had preserved them through the forty years of wandering. In the wilderness. Now think about how miraculous that was. If you have maybe two and a half million people coming across the desert, that is that is not sustainable. I mean you you don't have you don't have supply carts long enough. You don't have supplies and provisions uh, adequate enough to take care of that many people for forty years. And yet God took care of them. He provided the water. He provided the manna. He provided the quail. He protected them. And so the Feast of Tabernacles is that time in which they and it generally is around the month of October. Uh, on our calendar. It's around the month of October, Feast of Tabernacles. It is a celebration of God providing and and protecting them through their 40 years of wilderness. Now, this story is is of an an unexpected encounter between Jesus and a sinful woman. Again, that's why the series is called The Encounter. It was one of those things that, again, I, I ask you this question, how many of us have had these uh, encounters with people that literally changed our lives. Maybe they spoke something into us. Maybe they gave us an example. Maybe we watched, I remember, uh, years ago that, uh, when we hired our first children's pastor and, uh, I had, uh, before we had our children's pastor. So when kids camp would come along, you know, I, I loaded up the kids and I took them to camp and, uh, Even then, I was thinking, I'm too old for this. (laughs) So I've been thinking, I'm too old for a long time. But anyway, uh, so we started talking about a uh, children's pastor. And I go to uh, take the kids to kids camp. And as I come onto our camp property there in Maypearl, I see this young lady uh, that is there at the camp. And she's kind of like the Pied Piper of kids. Kids followed her. They were, wherever she went, man, they followed her. And I was just intrigued by that and i sat there for a long time just kind of observing watching i get a resume probably 2 or 3 weeks later from a a, a person uh inquiring about the position and i called and uh, set up an interview for her to come in and, and interview for that position and so i'm again i i have no idea of of the of the setup and anyway so when the time comes for the interview she walks into the office and it's the same lady who is at the camp with all those kids. And so she walked in, Amy Farley, that those of you who know Amy. Uh, Amy, she walks in, and uh, we just kind of chit-chat. I already made up my mind when I saw her. I was going to hire her. And uh, so we kind of talked, and it was kind of funny. She tells the story better than I do. We, we kind of chit-chat a little bit and just kind of him hauled around. And I said, well, hey, when can you start? And she said, I got it. And I looked at her, and I said, look, I saw you. When you didn't know, I saw you. I said, I. you know, there, to me, there, you know, a lot of people say that was a chance encounter. I don't believe that. I, don't, I believe that God sets things up, and I don't believe that that was a, a chance encounter. We needed somebody. And, man, what a phenomenal uh, individual. She still is today. Uh, I, I mean, I just was overwhelmed at how God brought that encounter. Listen, that's what these the stories are all about. It's about an encounter. This is, this is the unlikely encounter between Jesus and a sinful woman. Now, some people have actually called this story the story of the prodigal daughter. You know, you have the prodigal son. This is the story of the prodigal daughter. This story is well known. Uh, again, it's well known by believers, and it is also well known among non-believers uh, because that's how powerful this story is. Artists have actually used this story as a basis for their sculptures or, or their sculptures and, uh, and and the famous words that Jesus uttered in this story. Uh, so, as we unpack this story. I think it's worth noting, and I'll just say this, and I don't say it to confuse anybody, but I'm just, you know, I think honest disclosure I need to talk about. There are some scholars who question uh, about if this story should even be placed in the Bible uh, uh, or if it should be placed where it is in the Bible. And the reason for that is that most modern translations note that the entire story is absent from many of the old Greek manuscripts, uh, that it's not there. You know, some tra- some translators, in fact, uh, translations, in fact, yours may even do that. Have brackets around the story, kind of as a footnote, uh, just kind of indicating that this is not part of some of the original manuscripts. And uh, and, and I think that uh, maybe some of the church fathers commented, uh, uh, you know, that they were they were they questioned the story. I, I don't want to launch into the matters of textual criticism. That's not what this is all about. Uh, I I kind of side with Saint Augustine. <laughs> St. Augustine put it like this, and he talked about this about 1,600 years ago. He said that some copyists omitted the story because it seemed to make, here's what his opinion was, it seemed to make Christ too lenient towards the sin of adultery. Again, you got to understand the culture back then and the context of what's going on. And And so Augustine said that he felt like a lot of uh, scholars omitted this story because they felt like it made Jesus look a little bit soft uh, and 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 so we'll kind of unpack that a little bit. It's a powerful story because this story perfectly illustrates what John 117 tells us, and here's what it says: "For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's important to remember, okay, And so we'll kind of unpack what that means. Uh, see, there's the dangers of the judgmental spirit uh, and the forgiving heart of Jesus. So yet in this story, you have the two. You have the law of Moses. And you have the grace of Christ. And, and that's why that's what makes this story so compelling. Uh, th- this story demonstrates why the Bible is, is the Bible, why it is so enduring and has been for all these years. I think if you just kind of update a few of the details, this incident could have happened yesterday or even today. It's, it's that kind of story. So let's talk about it. First of all, uh, I, I titled my first section here, Caught. <laughs> Caught. So the story begins like this, okay? It's one morning, early one morning, the crowd had gathered at the temple uh, courts. They're there to hear Jesus teach. It's the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's coming to an end, uh, or it came to an end. They're, they're still there. The crowds are still there. Um, as Jesus is teaching, I want you to picture this. So he's there teaching. Suddenly, uh, he's interrupted by this crowd of men that are surrounding an embarrassed woman. Okay? And these men are pushing their way to the center where Jesus is. They're, they're pushing through the crowd. They're wanting to get to where Jesus is. And, 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 and so they do. They, they insist. They push their way, uh, tagging, uh, dragging this lady along until they're standing there in front of Jesus. So you've got these men along with this woman. Now, there are a lot of questions that I have in my mind. Uh, like, number one, who are these men? Well, the Bible says they were teachers of the law, okay, pharisees so what that means is that they were educated they were well known they were reputed to be men of wisdom and high moral standards okay so so if anybody had a question about the law of moses these were the men that could give the answer okay that's that's who they were but although here's the thing although they were religious men they were not good people and this story displays The fact that not everyone who has accumulated a a lot of knowledge is the genuine article of a Christ follower. These men were well reputed as learned men, scholars of the law, experts, uh, but they were not godly men. And their intentions that day were not good intentions at all. They are proud, they are self-confident, they are arrogant, ruthless, they are cunning, and they are thoroughly, listen to me, hypocritical. Thoroughly hypocritical. Again, as the story makes it very clear, hypocrites make the worst judges. Because in the zeal to condemn, it often hides an evil heart. Think about that. In In the zealousness to condemn someone, it often hides the evil in their heart. Again, there are many questions that we can't answer about this particular story. Like, number one, who is this woman? you know the bible doesn't say we uh, was she single was she engaged was she married i mean who was she again we don't know what previous relationship may she have had with one of these men <laughs> again inquiring minds want to know you know we 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 don't know the answer to that uh is she is she a young lady is she a middle-aged lady again the text tells us everything we need to know or everything we know about her, and everything else is speculation. So if you've ever read anybody that wants to uh, infer things to the story, that's all it is, because the only thing we know about this lady was that she was caught in the act of adultery. That's all we know. Well, so that raises another question. How did they catch her in the act of adultery? Right? Have you ever thought about that? How did they catch her in the act of adultery? Again, we can't be sure but from my specu my 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 looking at this something seems pretty fishy how do you catch someone in the act of adultery if you're not there if you're not spying i mean something's kind of fishy about this you see the rabbinic law was very specific on this point okay since adultery was technically a capital offense the law demanded that the accusation be substantiated literally by the eyewitness testimony. That that's how serious it was. I mean, if you're going to bring somebody up on a capital charge, the law demanded that you have to be eyewitnesses of the sin. So so again, think about all this that's going on here. Uh it would be it would not be enough to say, okay, well, I saw her go into the bedroom and and then I saw her leave. Well, that that's not good enough. You know, that doesn't Raise it to the level of of actually condemning her for the sin uh, hearsay testimony would not be accepted for a charge like this so So how did these men happen to catch her in the act of adultery? We may never know <laughs> we, we don 't know uh, again that that leads to another question where's the man where's the man? <laughs> I mean, if she's caught in the act of adultery, she's got to be adulterating with somebody else. So where, so where's the man? Adultery, adultery, by definition, requires two people. <laughs> okay. So, so where is he? You know, I mean, it's not likely that this man escaped and the woman didn't. That's not likely. Again, all of this is speculation, but perhaps it was a setup. Remember, John said, they ask him the question to test him. So maybe this was a setup. Maybe, maybe they talked, into, uh, talked this man, whoever he was, into seducing this woman so they could catch her in the act. And by prearrangement, they let the man go free once they caught her in the act. These men, here's the thing, these men, again, religious men, leaders in that day, they didn't care about the woman one way or the other. They had no concern about her. The only concern they had, again, from what you see of, of, of this story, the only concern they had was to try to trap Jesus. They didn't, they didn't care one iota about this particular lady. If they, and, again, if this is a setup, they have likely already caused adultery and apparently are willing to cause a murder as well. Uh, so, so, again, that's how great they hated Jesus. One final question. Why did they expose her publicly? Why did they do it publicly? I mean, there was no need to do that. There there really was no need to bring her to Jesus. Again, they weren't seeking to just punish her. There's a lot more, something more sinister is going on in this story. So let's look at the trap, the second thing. Let's look at the trap. So these religious leaders come in, they push, you know, they push through the crowd, they come to Jesus, they got the lady standing there. Uh, and they claim to have caught the woman in the act of adultery. Now, here's what Moses said. Moses said that such a person, person I can't talk, should be stoned. Again, we we, we, we read this with with Western uh, 21st century mindset, and we think, stoning for adultery? Man, half the city would be, no, I'm sorry, I said, we, I mean, we can't think of anything. We can't think of that. But that's the way it was. I mean, that was so serious in biblical times. It was a serious thing. It was a serious offense. And through the law, uh, it said that if, uh, if who, they, when they were caught in, in, whoever was caught in adultery, they're to be stoned. What would Jesus say? It was a trap. It was a trap, pure and simple. Now, again, to the Jews, adultery was a terrible sin. The rabbis taught that a man should take his own life rather than commit adultery uh, idolatry, or murder. Again, that's the way they felt about it. If you're going to do that, you might as well just take your own life. That's how serious it was. Evidently, this woman, again, is guilty of adultery. Nothing in the text suggests that she was innocent. And the Pharisees, honestly, would hardly have been as stupid to present her as an innocent woman before the Lord. I mean, they wouldn't have done that. But that's not the whole story. Because if you go back again to the Levitical law, Leviticus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 22, both individuals, this is what it demanded, both individuals caught committing adultery were to be put to death. That was the law. Deuteronomy 17.5 describes how it was to take place. You were to stone them at the city gate. You were to take them to the city gate. The stones, again, were like small boulders designed to cause quick death, okay, The first eyewitness was required to hurl the first stone. Again, see the genius of what's going on here. So the first eyewitness was was the one, by law, that was required to throw the first stone. The second eyewitness, the second stone, and so on. So that's the way it was set up. This laid a heavy moral obligation on the witnesses to tell the truth. You might want to grab that. (laughs) So so by presenting this woman to Jesus, okay, so think about what's going on here. The leaders hope to trap Jesus. They, uh, and the reason is they, they wanted to get Jesus in a sticky situation. How many know that every time they do this, I mean, you would think they would learn, right? You would think at some point they would learn that every time they try to do something to catch Jesus, he turns the tables and, and they're left with mud on their face. And it's the same thing in this story. So they come trying to trap Jesus uh, and, because if he would have said, Put her to death. Okay, so think about what what that would entail. What What does that mean? Well, if he says stoner, kill her, then he could be seen as a uh, rebellion of trying to lead a rebellion against Rome, because Jews didn't have the right of capital punishment. Didn't have the right. That's why. Remember when Jesus was was uh, uh, held for trial and 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 Barabbas and the whole the whole thing going on right there. They had to appeal. They went to Pilate. They went to Herod, back to Pilate. They didn't have the right of of capital offense. They could not carry out a capital sentence. So if Jesus said, take her out to the gate and stone her, then he could have been viewed as a rebel trying to overthrow Roman authority. If he said she should not be put to death, then he would appear to be violating the Old Testament and would put him at odds with Moses. So, So either way, again, see the trap. Either way, Jesus would be in trouble, or at least so they thought. Now, here's the thing. That might have worked with an ordinary teacher. But how many know Jesus wasn't an ordinary teacher? They were dealing with the Son son of God, who with the very spoken word created their their own bodies. Again, we should note that these men, sorry, he's talking to me. These men, again, I reiterate, did not care about this woman at all. They may have feigned it. And their desire to keep in accord with the law of Moses, but they were hypocrites. They had no, they had no, no concern for her whatsoever. The only thing they wanted to do was trap Jesus. To them, she simply, and I think the, it's noteworthy that her name's not even mentioned. I think to, to them, she is simply this woman. That's it. She's this woman. She's not a person, just a bait in a trap for Jesus. And again, although, although they respected the law of Moses while claiming to support public morality, again, it was all a sham. They were hypocrites. They had an evil eagerness to, uh, to, that led them to publicly degrade this poor woman and try to ruin the reputation of Jesus. That's what's going on here. So, so the third thing I want to look at is look at, look at the challenge. Again, they're not, dealing, they're not dealing with an ordinary teacher. They're dealing with the Son of God. And, and and so here's a challenge. John says, here's what he says in verse 7, that Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Wouldn't you have loved to have been? How many of you have ever read through the Bible and wish you had a little more information? <laughs> I'm there. When I, when I read this story, man, I would like to be a fly on the wall. I wanted to see that. I mean, what did he write on the on the ground? And again, there's a lot of speculation, and again, I would say that's all it is. It's speculation. If the Bible doesn't tell us, nobody else can tell us. But I find it very intriguing that when that was presented to him, that he stoops down and he starts writing on the in the dirt. Uh, what did Jesus write when he stooped twice to write with his finger? Well, I mean, again, evidently what he wrote was not crucial to the story. But it's been interesting. The word right literally could it actually could mean doodle. Okay, it could mean doodle. So he could he could be drawing stick figures. I mean, we, we we don't know. But I think it's interesting. I read some comments today of people that speculated on what Jesus wrote. Some some have thought that he wrote the Ten Commandments uh, to remind their the those men of their sins. Uh, and in fact, they go as far as saying that he probably, when he stooped down, wrote the names of the accusers by the commandments that they've broken, like Sam, adultery, <laughs> Joe, murder, Jacob, coveting. Now again, that's speculation, but I, I find it intriguing to think that, that Jesus is sitting there writing, calling, you know, reading their mail by writing in the dirt, calling them out for the sin. Uh, other Old Testament scripture suggests that, uh, uh, actually more, more than one writer suggested that he wrote uh, uh not the old testament but other writers said that he probably uh stooped down and wrote the name of their girlfriends. <laughs> Which probably has a I mean it almost rings true because when he started writing, boy, they hightailed it out of there, didn't they? <laughs> so so maybe there's a little maybe there's a little truth to that. He started writing their mistresses down and like, oh, we don't want anything to do with that. And they hightailed out of there. But you know what? It really wasn't, it wasn't the words that he wrote that really made the impact. It was the words that he spoke. Look at verse 7 again. He said, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first one to throw a stone at her. If any one of you is without sin, you'll be the very first one to cast that stone. Now again, you have got to understand where Jesus is coming from and why this would be such an impactful statement. Because I would surmise that these men are coming up to Jesus again in their piety and their uh, religiosity and, and and their arrogance and their hypocr- their hypocrisy. They they they're not concerned about their menial sins. So Jesus, when he says this, he's not he he's going at something deeper. That would cut them to the core of what they knew. Again, they're, they're learned men. They're doctors of the law. Jesus, at, when he says this, is no doubt thinking about Deuteronomy 17, 1 through 7, which basically, here's what it does it demands two eyewitnesses before anyone can be put to death, okay? So there have to be two eyewitnesses to the account before anyone can be put to death. Deuteronomy 19, uh, verses 15 through 20, 21 adds that the witnesses must not testify falsely or from a malicious intent. In other words, don't fabricate something because you are angry at another person. Because here's what happens. If they do, this is what the law described and and prescribed, I should say. If they testified falsely or maliciously, then the punishment that would have been inflicted on the, the, the perpetrator would be inflicted on them. So think about that. They knew that. So when Jesus said, hey, he's who is without sin, cast the first stone, he's calling them out saying, look, you better be careful. You better be careful where you go with this thing. You know, the law protected the rights of the accused and made it very dangerous for evildoers to use the law for their own crooked purposes. If you accuse somebody falsely and it is found out, then the same punishment that would have gone to them, exacted on them, is going to be exacted on you. And if you don't want someone to stone you, you better, you better think twice. Again, the Jewish leaders would have known all of this. Again, Jesus <laughs> turned the tables and he, he got them. Jesus' words were meant to remind them of the seriousness of that which they are charging, this lady. Listen to me. Motives matter. Motives matter. Motives matter. That's why I preach Sunday on the beam of Christ. What we do what we do matters. That's why Jesus said every idle thought every, or every idle word that we utter will be accountable. Everything that we do, it matters. It matters now and it matters in eternity. Motives matter. He say, here's what he's telling them. He's saying, hey, look, before you pick up that stone, you better take a look in the mirror and make sure that you are morally qualif- qualified to put this woman to death. If not, put the stone down and get out of here. That's pretty much what he's telling them right there. And you know what? It was like Jesus had taken a stone and just whacked them upside the head because it, you know, I mean, it cut them to the core. Because if they testified maliciously or deceitfully, they're, they're signing their own death warrant. No doubt these men were troubled by what Christ said. You know, they come wanting to talk about the woman. Jesus wanted to talk about them. You know, he had a way of cutting through all the muck and the junk. You know, sometimes we want to get, sometimes we want to just get so surrounded by the muck and kind of hide a little bit in the shadow. No, he cuts right through all that stuff. That's why the Bible says all all things are open and naked before him to whom we have to do. He shines lights in the darkest recesses of where we are. Jesus shone a light. He he shined a light that penetrated to the hypocrisy of their hearts. They're supposed to be teachers of the law and rulers. And yet here they are with evil intent in their heart. And Jesus, like a laser, got right to the core. Jesus saw the woman's sin and he saw their hypocrisy. We have to be very careful about how we look at other people and how we judge people. I, I think it's you know one of the saddest commentaries on the church is how many how many times have we heard people say, "Well, I don't go to church anymore." Those people are too judgmental. We have no right to be judgmental. Now, listen, I'm I'm not saying that we don't call out sin. I'm not saying that at all. You know, we've got to maintain. You know, the Bible says, "Without holiness, no man will see the Lord." You know, there are standards. But those standards are not condemning people. It's letting the Holy Spirit do the work that needs to be done. You know, we want people to conform to our idea of what they should be rather than let Jesus work on them to conform them to what He wants them to be. And that's why we have to be careful. Just have to be careful. We live in a different world. You know, different, just, again, I, I don't I don't want to chase that rabbit. You understand what I'm talking about. We have to be careful about judging, sizing somebody up that comes in, you know, that's different, looks different. I welcome. I don't care who come. You know, and I think the church, and I have to brag a little bit, I think the church has been very welcoming to people. And, and, and again, I don't mean this in a degrading way. Uh, I. Anybody remember years ago when we had Jeff Finholt here? Somebody? <laughs> nobody. It's been a long time ago. Jeff Holt. Jeff Holt was a lead singer for Black Sabbath for a little bit. Uh, he was the lead singer for Jesus Christ Superstar back in the 70s. Uh, anyway, he did a uh, concert here. It's been a long time ago. It probably was, I would venture to say late 90s. I don't know. But back in the day, we had these big brown looking curtain drapes up here. and uh, And he was... He was cutting edge. In fact, I had some some people that kind of got upset with me because he had hair down to the middle of his back, uh, you know, and he wore trench coat and and uh, I mean he, he just looked the part of a of, of a rocker. And uh, I remember the night of the concert. How how do I want to say this? There were lots of people here that I didn't. There were people that had dog collars on. There were people that had spikes and things. I honestly, and I'm not, I'm not making, I, I just had not seen that before. And I didn't know there, you had goth type things in Cleveland. I didn't, I didn't know that, but they were in the church. And as he started singing, I mean, that night he gave the altar call and, and, and we probably had 30 or so that responded to the altar. And, and that taught me a lesson right there. Don't ever, don't ever set yourself up to judge anybody based on what they look like. I remember that very vividly because one of the he, he, the music again, it was that, that type of concert. The, those curtains had been up since 1976. And so the vibration of the music actually, I, I know what the veil looks like being torn from top to bottom, because that curtain ripped from, the, from one corner down to the bottom and fell. <laughs> uh, but again, I, I would say, be careful. Jesus saw her sin and their hypocrisy. Compared to them, <laughs> she looked almost innocent. Their sin was far greater, let me just say this, because it couched in—it was couched in terms of, of religious talk, religious talk. In, in, in the end, there was more hope for this woman found in adultery than it was for these conniving Pharisees. Having been caught in the act of adultery, she was closer to the kingdom than they were. If you look at it, she doesn't deny their sin. They don't admit they have any. Big difference. They were so occupied or convinced, excuse me, they were so convinced that they, uh, or, or excuse me, they were so convicted, not convinced. They were so convicted by what Jesus said. You know what they did? They started disappearing one by one. Maybe the oldest one left first because he had more sin to account for. But what Jesus spoke was like a laser that went to the core of who they were, and they all dropped their stones and began to walk away. They knew they were not innocent, and they knew that they could not meet the standard that Jesus had just laid out according to the law of Moses. They wanted to trap him. He ended up trapping them, exposed by his moral purity and their raw hypocrisy. Next thing about this story is let's look at the pardon, the pardon. Notice how Jesus now addresses the woman, and I think there's a contrast in how he deals with her. First of all, he faces her. He straightens up. He faces her, and then he questioned her. Woman, where are your accusers? And she doesn't have any, and then he forgave her. He said, neither do I condemn you, and then he challenged her. Go and sin no more. That's it. Go now. And basically, today's English, he would say, go now and leave your life of sin. That's it. That's what he would say. You've committed adultery, but you know what? There's more to your life than, this, than the sin. It's kind of what I said Sunday. We can't be identified, but what we used to be. My identity's not wrapped up in what I've done. He's telling this lady, look, there's more to your life than than your previous sin. You can you can be much more than what you have been. You can turn from your sin once and for all. You can have a brand new life. Just sin no more and walk away. It's ironic that Jesus was the only one qualified to throw a stone, and he didn't. He didn't. Again, the law required two witnesses for death, and after all, it, it wasn't uh, Jesus who brought the accusation against her in the first place. And since the witnesses had disappeared, the charges were dismissed. The woman is now free. But again, there's a lot more to that than just what we read in that story because there's a lot more to just just summarily dismissing the charges. When she answers, no one, sir. New King James says literally, no one, Lord. No one, Lord. This is a statement of faith. The statement of faith, a brief, as brief as it is. It's a statement of faith. She, she makes no excuses for sin, but she stands there waiting for the Lord to render his verdict because in Jesus she saw a man unlike any man she had ever seen before. He was different. He treated her with grace instead of contempt. My question is, why didn't she leave when the Pharisees left? You ever thought about that? While Jesus was doodling, those guys probably were distracted from her and watching Jesus do his little doodle. Why didn't she leave? Why didn't she, run, why didn't she run away? When they started peeling off one by one, why didn't she go with them? I think the answer is obvious. She knew she was a sinner, and she didn't try to hide it. She didn't try to hide it. He, her sin had already been exposed. Now she's trusting this man in front of her to forgive. That's what's going on. Again, as a side note, many uh, we may be tempted to think that the man, whoever he was, got away with sin. Don't think that because he didn't. Don't think that she that he was lucky that he got away and wasn't exposed, and she was unlucky. That's not it at all. God saw it. God saw it. His guilt would be with him forever. If it was a if it was a premeditated plan, that would haunt him the rest of his life. It would be guilt for the rest of his life. He would it would follow him and 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 really, she wasn't so lucky in the end- unlucky in the end, right? Because she had her sins forgiven and was released to go and sin no more. She met Jesus, He transformed her life. Meanwhile, the man, whoever he was and wherever he was, is still mired in sin unless he came clean. He would have been better off being exposed, brought out with this woman, caught in the act of adultery to face Jesus than to hide his sin and to expect to live happily ever after. Again, as I bring this story to a close tonight, all of us are like this woman, in a sense. We're truly guilty in the eyes of a holy God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're caught by the justice of God. We all deserve death. And the thing is, we are helpless and unable to change our own condition. We can't. We're doomed. Unless somebody has mercy on us. Unless somebody shows us grace. We can't buy our way out of trouble. Listen, today, money talks. Mine says buy, but money, <laughs> money talks. You know, what's the golden rule? He who has the gold makes the rules. Listen, there are people that could get away with a lot of things if they have a lot of money. But you know what? When it comes to spiritual matters, money doesn't help you one bit. You can't buy your way out of your condition. We are condemned by our conscience, condemned by our our moral guilt, condemned by others. Listen, if people knew us better, you ever thought about this? If people knew us better, they would condemn us more than they do. They don't know half of it. But that's where the gospel is so powerful, so powerful. Just when we're about to be condemned, Jesus steps up and he rescues us. Just when sin, we're about to be undone. I love, I love amazing grace. Because we were all wretches. We were all wretches. But we see now and we're saved now. You know, I, some people may have grumbled that day, her sin should be paid for. I did a sermon one time on why it's important. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, the, the important sin has to be atoned for. I mean, we live, in a, we live in a society, you know, perverted as though it may be justice. Justice demands that a guilty party pays. It has always been like that. Every civilized society of mankind has always had a system whereby the wrongdoers always pay for their wrongdoing. It's no different in the spiritual kingdom. Wrongdoing has to be atoned for. And people would look at this story and say, well, I mean, she got off. Again, that's why you can understand why maybe some of the the commentators and scholars would not want this story there because it makes Jesus look a little bit weak, but really does it? They want to demand that her sin, she should have paid for her sin. Well, the thing is, it was. Jesus paid for her sin on a Roman cross outside of the city walls not too many days after this. When Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, what he meant was this. I don't condemn you because one day soon I'll be condemned for you. I'm not going to condemn you because I'm going to be condemned on your behalf. Galatians 3, 13 says Christ became a curse for us when he died on the cross. He took our pain. He took our shame. He took our guilt when, and, 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 that, and our sin, that load that was placed upon him. He took it to the cross. Paul called it the handwritten ordinance that was against us, was nailed to the tree. All of the accusations and charges against us, Jesus took on our behalf. Again, I think the order of his words are important as I bring this in for a close tonight. Notice what he did not say. He did not say, sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. He didn't say that. See, that's what we would say. Straighten your act up, and we'll accept you. That's not what he said. Religious people say stuff like that. Jesus says, I will forgive you, and I'll give you the power to break free from your sinful past. Big difference there. Religion says, change, or I will condemn you. Grace says, I have forgiven you, now change. Big difference. Again, and I don't think anything motivates like grace received into our hearts. Grace does what rules cannot do. Grace enables me to, 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 to walk with that uh, in, in His righteousness. Grace enables me to love the unlovable, to do the impossible. Grace is the motivator that changes us. Listen, let, again, lest anyone thinks adultery doesn't matter, Jesus never once plays this down. Never once. He doesn't say, ah, you know, boys will be boys. It's, no, it's not a big deal. He, he did not say that. Or, nor did he say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm going to let it slide. And he didn't say, well, you know, it's really not your fault. Those men, those evil men, they trapped you, and I'm so sorry the way they treated you. It's, it's not your fault. Isn't that what today's modern counseling would tell us? Oh, it's okay. It's not your fault. That's not what he said. He forgives her sin, and he sends her forth with a brand new life, and he says, I'm not condemning you, but go and sin no more. That was a directive to her. Don't sin anymore. And it carried the weight of heaven itself. And don't you imagine that because she received such grace that that impacted her with a, with a, with, in a way that you can't even begin to imagine. It hit her maybe like a ton of bricks that never left her. Don't sin anymore. Why did Jesus let her go? He didn't condemn her because he didn't come to condemn. Two verses to kind of explain this. John three seventeen. for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might what? Be saved. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there's there is there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus pardoned this woman caught in the act of adultery. Then he set her free to a new life in Christ. Again, it's easy to see why some people in early church history question this story. Again, I think sometimes we're uneasy by this type of grace that we find Jesus extending, except when we get in trouble. You ever notice that we want that grace when we're in trouble, but we judge it when it's extended to people that we judge suspectly. I love the story I read of a pastor that I'm sure you've probably read that story. Uh, it, it, I I believe it's a true story, but supposedly this pastor uh, was was elected the new pastor of a of a large church and. On his first Sunday, nobody had ever seen him uh, except for the elder board that had extended the invitation for him to accept this position. Nobody in the congregation had seen him, so he had set up this prearranged thing with the elder board. He dressed himself up as a bum, and he sat outside the church with a sign, you know, help, hungry, on a Sunday service as people came in for their Day, their Sunday worship. People came through. They ignored him. They stepped over him. They told him he needed to go somewhere else. They all kinds of things that that people typically do. They didn't have time for him today. That, you know, today was their church day, and they didn't want to be bothered, and all this kind of stuff. So the service is building to this crescendo of anticipation as they introduce this new pastor, and so here's, everything's made ready. This bum gets up from the sidewalk, walks down the center aisle of the church and steps up on the pulpit and removes his, his mask or his, his disguise. And he said, I'm the new pastor and begins to share what he felt as those people passed him by. I thought, wow, wow. You know, we, we see things like that, and I'm, I'm not saying that, for, I'm just simply saying that we, we get uneasy when we see grace extended to people that we don't think are worthy of grace because we fail to remember we don't deserve that grace. We don't deserve what he's done for us, and yet he did it anyway. And I think some of the church fathers got caught up in that same sentiment thinking, how in the world could Jesus be so free with grace towards a woman caught in the act of adultery? not realizing that they too had been recipients of the same grace, that we all deserve death and we all deserve hell, and yet Jesus, because he loved us, gave us grace. Listen, here's the good news. No matter what we've been caught in, I'm closing with this, I promise. No matter what we've been caught in, whether it be sexual sin or any kind of sin, you know what? The good news is this. What Jesus did for this woman, he will do for us. He says the same thing. I don't condemn you but don't do it anymore. Go and sin no more. No wonder. Go ahead and stand with me as we close. No wonder they called Jesus the friend of sinners. Right? They, they meant that as, a, as a, a, a derogatory statement, but what a compliment. No wonder they called him friend of sinners. He is the friend, and we are the sinners. And he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And the thing is, if I feel the heavy weight of sin, all i got to do is run to the cross, and that grace is extended And it's grace upon grace. That's why Paul, remember what he told Paul? He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient. For whatever ails you, whatever's going on, my grace is sufficient. That's why. Won't you bow with me as we close in prayer? What a beautiful story. You know, sometimes we get hounded and and overwhelmed with guilt. I said this Sunday morning, and, and, and again, I'll, I'll just kind of reiterate it again tonight, that if we're not careful, we can allow the guilt of our past to paralyze us for the future. In Christ, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we all struggle. With it. I know I do. I know I struggle at times with things I've done, and I think, Lord, how could you, how could you be so free with it? How could you be so free with forgiveness when I've done so rotten now, sometimes I struggle with that but then I have to come back to the fact that he is a gracious and merciful God and he does it out of because of his character not because of my merit because I don't merit anything but his character says Mike I'll forgive you and I'll receive you and I'll not give you what you deserve and I just, I just want to ask maybe you're online tonight and maybe you're hounded with guilt Maybe there's some things in your life that are kind of chaotic right now and kind of topsy-turvy and you struggle from time to time. I, I, I just want to pray for you, and I want you to be reminded that His grace is sufficient for whatever you're, is going on. If you're here tonight, say, Pastor, I need, to, I, I need prayer tonight. I need to hear that, that His grace is sufficient. Just lift your hand right, right back down. Amen, amen. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you as well. Listen, His grace is sufficient. Wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, whatever's going on in your life, Jesus is the answer. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I do love you with all of my heart, and I thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I thank you that you are the rock on which we build our lives, stable and solid. Lord, I pray right now as we've studied these four women that have had an encounter with you, Lord, they all come from different lives. They've had different encounters with you. Lord, I pray that tonight as we listen to this lady and we've seen your grace extended in a very difficult situation, Lord, may we be reminded that we are also recipients of that same grace. Lord, there are times that we're eaten up with guilt and shame. But Lord, there's no condemnation with you. Lord, as a believer, when I confess my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And Lord, you give me a new chapter, just like you told this woman to go and sin no more. Lord, you tell us, and you prepare us and equip us to walk in victory. So Lord, I pray for every hand that went up in the building and those that are online tonight. Lord, may we be reminded that your grace is sufficient. Lord, we fail many times and in many ways, but Lord, your grace remains sufficient for each and every one of us. So, Father, I pray that with that knowledge and that anchor in our hearts that we walk out of here tonight knowing, uh, Lord, that you are, you're gracious and you're merciful and you love us and forgive us not because of who we are but because of who you are, because of your character. Lord, help us tonight to go home and sleep soundly with that knowledge and not be eaten up with guilt and shame any longer, but be free in Jesus' name. And I pray, Father, that you give us a wonderful, restful week. And should you, Terry, bring us on Sunday ready once again to receive your word. Go with us, I pray, I love and bless each one. In the mighty name of Jesus, and we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you so much. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. Oh, see God.